The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Amen. Amen. Right, well, Pastor Jonathan, last week, as you'll remember, if you've watched online, if you weren't here, catch up with it. There it is. What is God like? Is our new series. And, uh, well, you could be forgiven as I was, uh, you know, when I first saw it. I thought, well, this is a series that could go on for a very long time. How can we even begin to scratch the surface of who God is? How can we even do that? He is the creator. He is the upholder of all things. And we're going to tell you in five weeks what he's like. (laughs) I think not. And you go, well, the simple is that we cannot do that. How can we do that? as, as, As we say, God is too unfathomable. He is too great for us to be able to contain and to package and to get an understanding of. That's that's a Chris Tomlin song that we sung, indescribable. We haven't sung it for a while. We used to sing it quite a bit. And and, um, I sort of was thinking, what can I say that that, that we know, the song that we sing, that that would really demonstrate that? And I I remembered this song, and I didn't know Kevin and the band had chosen it. So I came came here and and, and we sang it. And it it says it, doesn't it? And it's come up on your screen, because Nale very quickly has put a a slide together for us. And I won't sing. I'll just say it, all right? Indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars into sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All-powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim, you are amazing, God. And that's the sum of it, isn't it? Um, I mean, I don't know if many of you remember. Do you remember a chap called, well, he's still around, Louis Giglio? You remember him? He did a season, he did a tour called Indescribable. And it was all about the enormity, well it starts off about talking about the enormity of the universe. And the, and the size of the universe. And I guess you've all seen, you know, your scientists come along and tell you, yeah, well it's this and that, and it's matter and atoms and it's there. And you go, wow, this guy does it from a Christian perspective, and it really is, Wow. And I really want to recommend, if you haven't seen it, indescribable, Louis Giglio, you can catch up with it on YouTube. If you've seen it before, see it again. I saw it again recently, and I was just... And if you've not seen it, you've got a treat. Have a look. There's a couple in the series. See it. It's brilliant. Anyway, that's a little aside. Anyway, God is unfathomable. He is great. God says of himself in Isaiah, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And of course, it's right that we cannot contain God. It's right that we cannot fully work him out in the power of our own limited intellect. It's not right. We can't possibly say, right, okay, I've got God fathomed. I'm going to put him in this sort of box. Up he goes, labeled God. There we are, sorted. I know what his... 
We could never do that. He is the creator. He is the everlasting one. He is God. He is the uncreated one. He is the all-powerful one. He's the one that we come here on a Sunday, what, to be with one another? No, to honor him and to give him our praise. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. But what we will do through this series in a different way, is to look at different aspects of God's character. Because God does reveal himself. He reveals himself here. It's called the Bible. He reveals himself in part in here. Because even if you read the whole of this, you haven't still got God locked up in an understanding. Because he is God. He's God. He's greater than the sum of the parts of our thinking and even in the revelation of what he brings through scripture. But it is here that we start to get a glimpse of his power, his love, his his holiness, all of these facets of God's character. And today I just want us to look at two, two aspects of God's character. One is going to be his faithfulness and the other is his mercy. Now, we could have a whole series on these two alone, but we're going to box it down and try to get it understood in one session. God is faithful. Okay, let's start with that. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful? We all know, in a sense, and if you were to take a clipboard and to go out there this morning and ask a few people on the high street what they thought being faithful was, you'd probably get some different answers. You'd, you'd, you'd certainly get one like, oh, it's being faithful, like a, like a good husband or a good wife in a marriage. That's being faithful. Yeah, okay, have that. You will get someone who will say, well, you know, being faithful is following my team because they're really rubbish, but I still support them in the ups and the downs, and it's mostly downs, but that's faith. And in a sense, yeah, I'll go with that. Then you get the someone who will speak of, hey, look, I've got a really faithful, good, steadfast friend. That is being faithful. He's been, she's been faithful to me. And you say, yeah, okay. Undoubtedly, someone's going to say, well, faith is being faithful, faithful in religion, isn't it? Faithful to a God. Faithful is being faithful in that way. Absolutely, of course. And when it comes to this, the Bible, there are so, so, so many examples of faithfulness that we can demonstrate, come up with, point the finger to, And if I were to go around the room this morning, I won't, we haven't got that time, we'd all likely come up with a difference of, oh, I remember in the book, yeah, the faithfulness of so-and-so. The faithfulness of whatever. There's Abraham, isn't there? Faithful. He's waited. He's he's 100 years old when he gets this, his, his, his promised son, Isaac. And yet God says, I want you to sacrifice him. And he's prepared faithfully to take him to that mountain And just hover above. He is faithful to the point. And then goes, no. Don't touch the boy. Faith? Wow. There's the faithfulness of of Daniel. You know, the king's edict is you should not pray to anything other than the statue to me. And what does he do? No, 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 no. I'm praying to my God. I'm faithful to my God. There's the faithfulness of the centurion that Jesus meets. Whose whose, uh, servant lies dying. And he's prepared just to take Jesus' just say the word, Jesus. That's all I need you to do. I don't need you to travel to my house, come under my roof. Just say the word. Jesus says, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. 
There's the faithfulness of those, those friends who take their, 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 their paralyzed friends up to where Jesus is, is, is teaching. I can't get in. It's, it's impenetrable. How are we going to get it? Up the roof. Open the roof. Lower him down to the feet of the Savior. Faith? Yes, I think so. Faithful acts and faithful words are found throughout the pages of that Bible. And I guess we all, therefore, have an understanding uh, of what, how faith is described and what it looks like. And, and I guess you've probably, in your minds, thinking, yeah, and in my own life's experience, there's been this and there's been that. And yeah, these are all applicable. Now, when it comes to God, we're told that he too is faithful. He too is faithful. And what I mean when we say faithful about God is he is utterly trustworthy. He is entirely faithful. We have a sort of understanding here. He is the fullness of faithfulness. Deuteronomy, way back in Deuteronomy, chapter 7. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. And in Psalm, Psalm 36, verse 5, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. You see, because God is faithful, because faithfulness is a core part of his character, because that is in, in, in part of him, we can always rely upon him. We can always trust him despite the circumstance or the situation. He is the faithful one. Completely placing our trust, as it were, in, in, in that, that's trusting in God's faithfulness is the way in which you and I can actually produce good fruit in our Christian lives for the kingdom. Trusting in him. Because you see, if I don't fully believe that God is actually for me, and is totally for me, whether I'm young or old, whatever season in life I'm, I, I, I'm in, if I don't actually truly believe it, I might sing it on a Sunday, but if I don't truly believe it, then it's unlikely that I'm going to seek him with all my heart. It's unlikely that I'm going to trust him with everything I have. Why? Because, <clears throat> you know, yeah, you're faithful, but do I trust you to the nth degree? And the Bible is also full of God's assurances of his faithfulness. Not only acts of faithfulness. Deuteronomy again, verse, uh, to chapter 31, verse 6. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And in Romans, Paul writes in the New Testament. And we know that in all things, we know this one, don't we? God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called in accordance to his purposes. You can be completely convinced this morning of this, that God is totally faithful to his children. Totally faithful. And in the knowledge of that, Paul continues in that same chapter in Romans, and at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the incredible thing is this morning, if your faith is placed in God, if your faith this morning is placed in the finished works upon the cross of Jesus Christ, you are a dearly loved son or daughter, and God is there and for you. Even in the trials, even in the dark places. 
And what God is looking for is for an open heart, a willing heart, a heart that says, yes, Lord, I'm prepared to believe that. Therefore, in the fullness of your spirit, bring me that strength that I need to live that life in the name that is Jesus. You see, we're not meant to live lives separated from the fact and the understanding that God is a totally faithful God. We are not meant to live our lives divorced from the fact that God is for us. He wants this to be completely embedded in our faith and in our belief. Now, you and I know people can let you down. Even if I say that, I bet there's people in here who maybe, yeah, I remember, I remember, I remember, yeah, and it hurt, and it still hurts. And you can even think, well, even people you'd put in, no, never, 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 category. They never, no, they don't, never, ever let me down. You never know. God does not. You see, even those dearly loved ones might not be able to be with you in certain circumstances that you might find yourself. It might not be possible for them to be there. But God, our loving King, is always at your side. Never leaves you. Never forsakes you. Why? Because it's part of his character. Faithfulness comes from God. Faithfulness is in him. And God can never be untrue to himself. I could let you down easily. God will never do that because faithfulness dwells within him. He is faithful. Isaiah 54 verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. In other words, if everything else is leveled and everything in creation should fall apart, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace be removed from you, says the Lord who has compassion on you. It's another characteristic you might look at. Now, for those of us that are parents, it goes without saying that what we want is for our children to know that we are for them. Yeah? I mean, if you're a parent, you want to know, that you want your child to know, rather, that you are absolutely for them. You are for them through the thick and the thin. Now, now sometimes, (laughs) that can be difficult or seem difficult. And sometimes, you know, our children might think, do you know what, I'm not sure mum and dad actually 100% for me, especially if you've had to bring some discipline, especially if you've had to bring some correction. Doesn't matter whether they're two or 20. You know, and if you've, well, maybe not 20. <laughs> Whatever it is, 15, get away with that. But if you've had to bring an adjustment and discipline, it can be, and those times can be tough. Those times can be difficult, both for us and for the child. However, you know, as a parent, that the guidance that you're seeking to bring is for their ultimate good. You're doing it for their best. You're doing it because you, it's, although this is harsh, we want to get this right for the long term. Now, if we therefore declare, as we do, God is for me. God is for me. We must understand that it means with his whole heart, with his whole being. And he desires the best for you and for me and for our lives the fact that God knows what is best and what we actually need in his faithfulness is the way he wants to guide us. He wants to encourage us through those ways. And we also need to understand this, that God is not against us when things don't seem to be working out in the way that they ought or we don't like God's timing. I've been in those positions. Have you? You're there? Have you heard? Do you know the situation? 
You know, it doesn't mean... It, God cannot be untrue to himself. I've said it before. And, and it, therefore, the Lord isn't against us when we don't receive that blessing. Or what we experience is, I don't understand it. It's not that he's against... He's not slipped out of character. God is committed to us. And we need to be committed in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirit that that is the position that we have before God. He is for you. He is for me. Because we are in Christ. No other name than this. The psalmist says, Psalm 84, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You know, so let's be determined to respond to God's faithfulness. Let's, let, let's hear it afresh today and, and be prepared to, bring, to allow that to bring confidence to areas in life that you are uncertain in. I bet every one of you has areas in your life that you're not 100% in. You're not really steadfast in. There's areas where, oh, I've got a bit, oh, I, don't, I lack confidence in that area. I, lack, I have actually fear. We sung about that this morning. That fear in that area. Let God's faithfulness, my God is for me. Not willpower. God's power available to us. Because I am convinced. I am convinced that it's God's heart is for you this morning. God's heart is totally that you should experience the love of a heavenly father who has sacrificed his son that you might have relationship with him. This is no chance thing. This is beautiful. God is faithful and he is faithful forever. Amen. Amen. God is faithful. God is also merciful. God is merciful. Well, look, I hope I've gone to some, to some small way of establishing that God is faithful. God is for you. He's for us. He's not against us. We serve an amazing king. We serve an amazing God who brings so much to us. Now I want to look at briefly his mercy. His mercy. What is mercy? Well, I know that it's not a word I use very often. When was the last time I used mercy in my normal vocabulary? I don't know. When did you? You don't, do you? It's, just, it's, just a, it's almost like a biblical word. Mercy. Mercy. No, you don't. But I looked and I struggled with the definitions. You thought, well, that's an easy one to look up. And that, well, it is, but I struggled. The definition of mercy, this, I like this one, is to hold back on handing out a punishment that would be right and appropriate to apply. I'll read that again. Is to hold back on handing out a punishment that is right and appropriate to apply. Okay? Now, apparently, and I say apparently because every one of you will know I am no theologian, I'm no scholar, but apparently the Hebrew and the Greek word for mercy exactly the same thing. And it means compassion, loving kindness, and pity. Okay? So we've like got that in our idea. Now, the Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah? Romans 3.23. And that since the fall, every one of us have been born with a sin nature. None of us comes out clean. We have all have sin as part of our nature. And when we start to mature and grow up, and you think, Do you know, on the old goodness scale, hmm, I won't go for a 10. 
I've put myself up for seven. Get away with it. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter where you put yourself on the scale. We deserve punishment and to be separate from God because we have sin within us. And we have sinned. But praise God, rather in line with the, the, the definition that we have there, we have a Lord who is merciful and holds back on that punishment because he doesn't want to mete out that punishment. And through God's abundant mercy and his grace, we are able to receive forgiveness in the person of Jesus. This is where it's focused. Just like his faithfulness, God's mercy is unending and it is unlimited. Can you get your head around that? I can't. That is the standard of God's mercy. He is merciful in the main because God, as Pastor Jonathan told us last week, is love. Another aspect of God's character. God's righteousness, yet another aspect of who he is, his righteousness, demands that there is punishment for your sin and my sin, for our wrongdoing, because he wouldn't be holy, another aspect of who he is, if he just wiped the slate clean. You're not so bad. I'm like some celestial father, Christmas. Have clean. Or no, he can't do that. Why can't he? Because he's righteous. He's so merciful in his love, he purposed and brought about at just the right time the coming of his son, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I make no excuse. Pastor Jonathan used this scripture last week. It's the most well-quoted scripture in the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Through him. Jesus comes from the glory of heaven. He lays aside his majesty with the Father. He comes to this earth he has created. He lives a life of total obedience to the Father in fulfilling all the statutes, the commands, the precepts, the laws, faultless. We're told that Jesus was tempted in every way, it says in Scripture, but was without sin like you and me, unlike you and me. He's betrayed, he's beaten, he's cursed, he's spat upon, he's crucified, and he hangs upon a tree for you and for me. Jesus received the condemnation and the punishment upon the cross that you and I deserve. Make no bones about that. He is the righteous, beautiful one. He cried out, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? At that point, God had to look away. The sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world was on Jesus at that time. Jesus received the condemnation. We receive forgiveness when we ask for that mercy, when we seek that forgiveness. Ephesians 2, Paul writes to the Ephesians in that letter in chapter 2, 4 and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. The greatest outpouring of God's mercy is found at the cross. It's found at the cross of Jesus. He took upon himself that punishment. 
And as it says in James, James' letter, James 2, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus talked about God's mercy. He talked about it in a parable. He talked about it in the parable of the rich ruler who was owed an incredibly large sum. We don't know how much, doesn't matter how much. It was an incredible amount of money by one particular guy. You can read it, you can find it in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 18, verses 23 to 27. Basically, the story goes like this. The rich ruler said, enough, I want the money back. And he gets the guy and he says, time's up, want the money. I can't pay. I can't even begin to scratch. I can't. And amazingly, amazingly in the parable, the rich ruler says, okay, okay, I'll extend mercy. I'll write, I'll write off the debt. I'll write it off. <laughs> we're not talking about small sums, we're talking massive sums. And of course, the parable speaks of the unfathomable debt of sin that we owe God. We owe him so much, we can never pay it back. And yet Jesus writes that sin off. Now, the interesting thing, of course, in the parable, if you go, yeah, I know this one, I know this one. Well, you will remember what happens then is the guy who's had all the, all the debt written off grabs hold of someone who owes him tuppence apenny. In fact, again, we don't know, but we know it's a much lesser sum. He said, give me your money. I want it back. I want it back now. The guy said, well, I can't afford it. And instead of extending that mercy, what happens? He said, no, I want it. And that attitude, that, uh, that, that view that he took gets back to the rich ruler. And the rich ruler said, I extended you great mercy. You've not extended any mercy. And so he has him thrown into jail until he can pay the last penny. Judgment then comes. He had the chance of mercy, didn't extend mercy to someone else. Judgment comes. We've got to understand this. We have been received so much in Jesus. We have received so much in the fact that you and I can sit here with our faith in Christ and I am a son or I am a daughter of God. Therefore, we need to extend mercy to others. We heard Pastor William speak about forgiveness. We need to extend forgiveness. Have you forgiven people in your life? It says in the Lord's prayers, doesn't it? Even in the Lord's prayers. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins, whatever you use. As we forgive those who trespass, who sin against us. Well, do we? Do we do that? We've been given so, forgiven so much, we cannot withhold it from those that have offended us. We need to be merciful. Why? Because God has been merciful to us. Listen, I want to ask you a, a question this morning. Whether you're at home there, whether you're in the room, is it your heart to be right with God this morning? Is it your heart to be right with Do you want to be right with this king that we've sung about and that we're learning about afresh this morning? If it is, you've got two routes, two roads you can go down. The first is this. You can try to obey God's law. You can try to obey. That's what the Pharisees did. Yeah, we're going to, to the minutiae, follow the laws. Everything that is written in the law. But you've got to understand, if you today choose that path, you've got to do it faultlessly. That doesn't mean a good day's effort. That doesn't mean a good week's effort. It doesn't mean a good, just even a month's effort, a year's effort. It means for the rest of your life faultless, 100% adherence to everything that is written in the law. And guess what? You failed already. Why? You were born with a sin nature. You can't do it that way. 
It's not an open way to get where you want to go. The other route, and this is the route that we would really point you in, is that you can receive today God's great forgiveness, his great love, his great mercy. God wants you to call out to him in forgiveness, through Jesus, through the word, no other name than this, Jesus, and to be clothed in righteousness. What, a little bit of a stained righteousness? No, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is available to each of us that calls upon him for mercy. God's wrath has already fallen upon Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's already been poured out in its fullness upon his son who was sinless. He is our strong tower, the one that we can run to, the one, therefore, that we can plead mercy for. Hebrews 8, verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. No more. You know, even as believers, if you're sitting here as believers, as most of us are, we continue to sin. We continue to sin. We continue occasionally to grieve the Holy Spirit. We continue to do that. But we have a merciful God. A God, as part of his character, is that when we say, Lord, I really messed up. I really did not want to say what I said. I do not want to think like I've been thinking. I do not want, why did I do that thing? When we come in asking for his mercy, seeking his strength, he is merciful and forgives because it's part of his nature and Jesus has paid that price in his blood. The fullest expression in Jesus Christ. Now, coming to the end, do you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus told this parable and it's found this time in the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 18 and verses 9 to 14. Basically, we have this. We've got two men standing fairly close to one another in the temple. A Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, I say fairly close to one another because the Pharisee would never have allowed a sinner to stand next to him. Okay? We are righteous. You are not. So it couldn't be a situation where they were standing side by side or even a short distance. It would have been probable a fair distance between them because of this considered view of the Pharisee. Now we know that the Pharisee lifts his hands and his head to heaven and prays a fantastically fine-sounding prayer. Self-congratulating prayer, actually. Doesn't speak about his sinfulness, doesn't ask God for mercy. He just says that he is, well, basically he considers himself sinless. There's no thanksgiving in that prayer. And as a result of that, it's all about him. Okay? Now, at the other end, at the other side, we have this tax collector who is bent over. The word says he cannot look up as he prays. He knows he's unworthy before a holy God. He can't lift his eyes to heaven in the way in which the Pharisee does. It's, it's, the, it's like the whole weight of his sin, the whole weight of his unworthiness has got to the point that it's pressing down almost physically upon him. He can't do that. He's got to be bowed. He's got to be bent. And it's because it comes, I think it's become such a pressure on this man 
that he's found himself in the temple making this prayer for mercy. He's bent over. He, he beats his chest in repentance and in grief. Now, let's make no mistake. He's guilty. He is guilty. He is a guilty, sinful man. And yet, and yet, it's this man's prayer that causes God to move. It's this man's prayer that, and it's the, precisely the sort of prayer that God wants. Because he's come, I've got nothing. I come to you and I give all that I am. He is poor in spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount about the poor in spirit? You remember that series of a few months ago? Pastor Jonathan spoke about the being poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've, we've, got, we've got nothing to present before God. We've got nothing to show him. We've got nothing to pay for our sins. We haven't got anything in our pockets or, or in our life or in our heart that will pay for our wrongdoing. And the tax collector, sort of got, he sort of knows that. And he says, Lord, have mercy upon me. Jesus tells us in the parable that it's this man's prayer that is answered. It's this man's prayer that actually God responds to. Not the righteous prayer, as it would seem, of the Pharisee, but of the tax collector. And he receives, we understand, that mercy that he prays for and seeks. Why? Because he humbles himself. He just says, God, it's all about you. You've got to please extend to me and cleanse me in your mercy. I have nothing to bring in myself. Only Jesus, only Jesus can bring that forgiveness to bear. No amount, no amount of good works, no amount of tending services, no amount of giving money charitably, no amount of loving and preferring others pays the price. God's mercy pays the price. Jesus paid the price. And that is why we take that route when we seek to be as one and in right relationship with our King. Because Jesus took upon his body that that we could not. And we must not forget the Pharisee. He has a part to play in the parable. Why? Never get into the trap of thinking, I'm so much better than they are. <laughs> Do you know what? Oof, I'm glad I'm not in his position. I'm here. They're there. No. No, there by the grace of God and through his mercy and through his extended love go us all. And therefore, as soon as we start getting self-righteous, we fall into a trap that is a bleak and horrible place to be. God's mercy is available right here and now today. It's not something that happened just 2,000 years ago and the door is now closed on. His mercy never comes to an end. It is new every morning. It says that in Lamentations. It's available for every one of you. For you at home, for you in here, if you've not made that prayer seeking God's forgiveness and for that oneness to be upon you in relationship with his loving Heavenly Father and with Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We should be condemned. We should be condemned. We're offered a thing called justification, to be justified before a holy God. We're deserving of shame, we're deserving of rejection. Yet God says, I offer you glory. I offer you the road to glory through Jesus. 
We, 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 we're deserving of eternal separation from God. We are deserving of that. But let me tell you this morning, heaven's gates are open wide, waiting for those who would call upon God in his mercy to respond to him and to take their place in the courts of the king. What, just for today? No, for today, the rest of your life, and for eternity. That is the price that Jesus has paid. Let there be no mistake. Please, please, please don't pass up on this. Either today or whenever. But there's no time like the presence. God's listening at the moment. That's why he tells us to pray. Why does he tell us to pray? Because he doesn't hear. No, he asks us to pray because he hears. And he wants you to pray and to respond to him. The mercy of God is new every morning for all of us. Amen. God's faithful. He's faithful. He's for you. <sighs> Not the moment. Yes, he is. <laughs> and he is merciful. Two facets of a character that stretches from here to eternity. Praise God. And God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or... Join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.